This is Ashley, and this is School and Life, a weekly podcast about life, love, and occasionally libations. This week in Mentor Moment, I wanted to talk about the four things you'll gain from hiring me as a career coach. It's hard for me to believe that I've been in the career coaching space for four, almost four years. I've served hundreds of women in that time and helped my mentees earn more than a million dollars in salary increases, raises, and promotions. And I'm really proud of that and just proud of the outcomes that my work drives for women. Obviously, you know, seeing them earn more money, whether it's salary increases, bonuses, or raises is a phenomenal but also just the ways in which the women that I serve think differently about who they are, how they show up, their value and expertise in the world is just really, it's really transformative, right? The work is really transformative and just inviting women to see themselves in their full glory, see themselves as the the experts that they are and walk into that expertise in a way that is really true to them is something that I don't take for granted and something I'm really proud of. But and I think that, you know, I talk about that kind of publicly often, but I think that for someone who's maybe followed me for years or listened to this podcast for years, maybe you're like, I'm not sure how having a career coach would benefit me. I'm not sure, you know, I see the outcomes like good for those women, but like, how is this going to help me and where I am and what I've been challenged by? And so I thought I'd just share some reasons why other women have hired me, reasons why I hear from women, you know, from my most successful mentees, like what they really needed from me in any particular season and how they leverage me to advance their career. So the number one reason why women hire me is because they need an expert level thought partner, right? Like I serve very smart women. And like those of you who are listening, right? You're smart, you're capable. You've gotten, you know, to where you are in your career up to this point, maybe without a career coach, without help, right? And so you're just like, I mean, maybe I could just do this by myself. But I think what one of the reasons why, the number one reason why women hire me is because they're kind of tired of relying on Google or their best friend's auntie who used to work in HR for career advice, right? It's like, you know, it's only so many gems somebody going to drop for free on the internet. Like at some point, I really need somebody who's an expert, somebody who knows what they're doing. I need to go beyond Google and resume templates and actually get some expert level support, right? And that's me, right? I have more than 15 years of experience in corporate nonprofit and educational leadership, just outcome after outcome um, in my work. And so I think people see that and they're like, yeah, I want to be attached to that. I want to be a part of that. I, I would benefit from that, right? And so that is probably the number one reason why women hire me, right? Like they're smart, they're capable, like they can, they have, they can do and have done a lot on their own. But, you know, there becomes a point when like, even the expert needs a coach, even the expert needs a mentor, even the expert needs a thought partner. And that's like the number one reason why women hire me. I would say the number two reason or like, what I, what women get out of me as a career coach is contemporary career strategy, right? So my work is not your high school guidance counselor office. You know, I'm not just reviewing your resume and marking it up with ready, right? We're not doing mock interview practice. We're really talking through like the major things that are impacting um, and maybe even prohibiting success in your career. And then like working to remove those roadblocks and then developing a new strategy. And then me walking alongside you week after week, month after month, if you're in my mastermind program to really support you in advancing. And so, so yeah, so that's what we're really focused on there. You know, we're going to work through workplace trauma. We're going to interrupt, you know, white supremacist culture in the workplace, right? Like, and this is not just like a thought exercise, or, you know, something to consider, but it's like, how, what are the strategies that I can use to really like interrupt the stuff that's holding me back in my career? That's, you know, prohibiting me from 
advancing in the ways that I really want to. So that's what we're really focused on there. Contemporary career strategy, not something, you know, that work used to work five years ago or seven years ago or when you graduated, but something that's taking into account what's going on in the economy, what's going on in the marketplace, what's going on with employers right now. So the third reason why women hire me as a career coach and what they get out of it is a customized career roadmap, right? So we're not throwing spaghetti at the wall. We're not using some generic template to advance your career. We're really, you know, together, you know, we are leveraging the skills, the knowledge, the expertise that you already have to really build a roadmap that you that moves your career forward. And it's customized to you, right? I was in a conversation with a mentee recently and she was just like, oh, hey, Ashley, I heard that in 2023, this is going to be like a hot job. You know, this is going to be a popular job. Should I like start applying for these kinds of jobs? And I was just like, what does this being a popular job in 2023 have to do with you, you specifically and your skill sets? Like, do you have demonstrated experience and expertise in that field? Have you ever done work in that field before? Does that field or that role align with your values, right? Like there are so many other questions besides like, oh, I heard this is a hot job. Like we need to customize a career roadmap beyond what's popular. I mean, if you if you learn nothing else from me, or if you don't learn this from me, look at just the industry. I mean, we, you know, everybody, oh, I want to move in tech. I want to work in tech. I want to work remotely. And then every tech company, every popular tech company over the last three months had massive layoffs, right? Some of those even impacted some of my mentees, right? Transitioning from an industry like education to an industry like tech, tech, and then they're experiencing massive layoffs within a year of working in the organization. And I'm not trying to put, I'm not trying to scare people, right? I'm not trying to like scare you into just staying where you are, but we have to build a customized career development roadmap that takes into account your risk tolerance, Right. And, and, and that and I think that like when you're just following what's popular, it's not customized. So you just out here doing anything and everything. That's just you just got to be leery of that. You got to be careful of that. Move beyond trends. Right. And that's what I do with my mentees. And the fourth and final thing I'll say about this is just that, you know, I am a career coach who has built a community of high achieving professional women that my mentees get a chance to be a part of. Right. So there's no more isolation. There's no more thinking you're the only one. You'll get access to a community of other professional women to listen to you, to learn from, to hold space for you as you advance your career. And when I tell you there's so much joy in our mentee sessions, there's so much celebration. Those, there's so much honoring people's lived experiences, affirming people's lived experiences. You know, there's just so much of that. So I just invite you to be a part of what, what, what I've built here. Be a part of it for yourself. Be a part of it for your career. I'm accepting new mentees right now for my December and January 2023 cohort. So if you are trying to think about how can I set myself up for success for, you know, the new year to advance my career, whether that's securing a raise or promotion in your current organization, whether that's transitioning out of your current organization to a new organization, whether that is building sustainability in your career and just some reassurances and some confidence, whether that's transitioning industries altogether and a roadmap for that, you know, my mentorship addresses all of those things. And I look forward to supporting you in helping you advance. You can go right to my website to schedule a free call with me so that we can talk about what your specific needs are and get started on identifying how I might be able to best serve you as a mentor. Again, go right to my website to do that at mentor-me.org. Next up is I digress. And this week we're talking 360 feedback. So 
So the idea of 360 feedback is essentially the idea of, you know, sharing feedback across the organization. Often, often feedback comes one way, right? Your boss gives you an annual review. Your boss, you know, shares, you know, what's what you've been doing well, maybe where you're stuck or where you're struggling. But 360 feedback is a method of employee review that allows both the employee and the person providing them with feedback, the opportunity to share insights on performance. And I think that I think that I have never really worked in an organization where there was 360 feedback. I most of the organizations that I've worked in, feedback went one way. Like my boss gives me a mid-year and annual review, and that's the thick of things. <laughs> but but yeah, I yeah, that's yeah, like I said, that's the thick of things. But Recently, I took an opportunity to share some feedback with my boss. And, you know, I want to share here that this is not like going to be a sermon about give your boss feedback, let them know how you feel, because I recognize that sharing feedback with your supervisor is a privilege, not in the sense that like it's a special thing, but in the sense that like to be able to work in an organization where you feel psychologically safe enough to share possibly challenging feedback with your supervisor in a direct and frank way is very scary. And it is not every every environment that you work in, maybe the environment that you work in right now is not a brave space to do that, right? It's not a space where you would feel safe doing that. And so I recognize the immense privilege I have to have the psychological safety to be able to share challenging feedback with my supervisor and not feel like, oh my God, I'm going to get fired tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? So definitely, definitely understand, I guess, the, the real fear that comes along with sharing feedback, but also definitely I'm glad that I did it because I feel like it needed to be done. And that, and I think that, that, that I'm glad that I have the psychological safety to do so. So Right. Like when do you share feedback? How do you share feedback? Should you share feedback? Right. So I think the should you really that psychological safety is key. I think that one of the things that I often ask myself when I'm sharing feedback is what do I want to get out of this conversation and what happens if I don't get it? Right. So what like I think that knowing your and I know this sounds cliche. Right. But like knowing your why, knowing why you're even talking to this person, what the purpose of this freaking conversation is and what you hope to get out of the conversation. And then what happens if you don't get what you want is really critical, because I think that sometimes we go in and we're like, OK, I'm going to let this people, person know what's on my mind. I'm going to let them know how I feel. And we know that we're doing that, but we don't know why we're doing that. Right. So are we doing that for revenge? Are we doing it to tell the person off? Are we doing because we are trying to repair this relationship? Are we doing because we're trying to let these people know that this relationship is over? Are we doing it because we're trying to set some boundaries in the relationship? Like understanding why you're even having the conversation, why you're even giving the feedback is critical. And then knowing what you expect their response to be. Like, do you want them to apologize? Do you want them to acknowledge? Do you want them to, you know, kind of get angry about it? Do you want them to feel sad and remorseful? Like what emotion or action do you desire out of the situation? And then what happens if you don't get it? What happens if they're just stoic? What happens if they dismissive? What happens if they laugh in your face? What happens if they don't, they won't take the call, right? Like they won't, they won't come to the meeting for the feedback, right? Like what happens? if and when your desire for feedback is not met, right? And so 
So I think it's important to think through that, not that you can control all of the, all of the outcomes, but so that you can understand what the possible outcomes might be and prepare your heart and mind for that, right? And I think that that's really critical because that way you can protect yourself against feeling disappointed or disillusioned or, you know, angered by the fact that they didn't respond how you wanted them to respond or they didn't engage how you wanted them to engage. Like you can go ahead and like know that like, regardless of how they respond, like this is, I came, I got what I came for or I didn't get what I came for, but I'm glad it's off my chest or whatever, you know, that is for you. So I think that that is important. And then beyond this idea of like 360 feedback and just like, if it's a brave space for, for you to do so, I also think 360 feedback can be used strategically. So like, if you are in an organization where you're like, oh, I really want to grow and develop, there's an opportunity for you to say to a supervisor or leader, I'm looking for opportunities to grow and develop, develop. And one of the things that I need support from you all, from you in is to, you know, identify three opportunities this year that might, that are aligned with my growth plan and sort of signal boost them to me or, you know, sponsor me in them or put my name in the hat for them as you see them. Right. So this idea of getting people to be your advocates in your growth and development through a feedback lens is, is a powerful tool that can be used and that I've seen used successfully. I think the final thing I'll say on getting and or receiving 360 feedback is that one of my friends often tells me this, and this is something that I still struggle with to this day, but something I'm often trying to think through how to incorporate, which is take the meat, leave the bones. So, you know, everybody, every piece of feedback that somebody gives you isn't for you, right? (laughs) You know, it's not always true. It's not always accurate. It's not always comprehensive. It doesn't always take everything into account. And if you're anything like me, if you find yourself to be kind of a sensitive person, you can take feedback really personally, and then you can it can affect your self-esteem, your self-worth. It can have you second-guessing or questioning yourself, right? And so I think that when you hear feedback, take the meat. Like, what, what, what is the theme of what they're trying to say? What is the purpose of what they're trying to say? Is there any truth to what they're trying to say? Is there anything that, is there, have you, are you hearing anything that you've heard before, right? Take that as meat. Take that as like, okay, this is the crux of this conversation. Leave the bones. If it includes some personal petty beef, if it's direct, if it's, if you get the feedback in an attitudinal way or with a tinge of jealousy or a tinge of, or a, a big lump of anger or whatever, like that's the bones. And you can leave that. You can leave that. Cause, you know, just because they're jealous of you don't mean they might not have something <laughs> that can, add value or like share perspective with you. I mean, I'm not saying keep a lot of jealous people around, but it doesn't negate what they have to say necessarily. It just doesn't. So yeah, I mean, it's just something to think about. And I guess I would just say that, and I guess I did do an episode on jealousy just a few weeks ago. So definitely check that out. That's something you're struggling with at work. But I, I'm landing on the, the, the side of, I feel like 360 feedback is not, what the goal is. The goal is to work in an environment where you would feel psychologically safe to share feedback at any turn, but not in a formalized 360. Like, here's my time to talk about what you did. And here's your time to talk about what I did. Like, I don't know if that's super helpful, but I do think, you know, as much as you can work in an environment that's psychologically safe, the more that you can thrive in your career, but also do so in a way that's like meaningful to your positive well-being. 
and I digress. And this week in TVT, I have a critical question for you and I want an answer. So please tell me, can Black women be bad mom? I was watching Bad Mom Christmas over the weekend and these moms are ridiculous. Abandon their kids, you know, don't show up for their kids are just like ridiculous. And and I was listening to a podcast by Brittany Luce. She is a popular podcaster. She had a show called For Color Nerds for a long time. She's now in an NPR culture podcast. I'm not thinking of the name of it, but I will put a link to it in the show notes. And yeah, it's it's called It's Been a Minute. She's a new host for that PR. And it just is fascinating to me because she talked about the fact that like, she had a great mom, but she often felt unattainable because she was so perfect. And then she starts to begin to think about what it might mean for her to be a mom, if that's something she and her partner desires. Like, can she be a bad Black mom? Can she be a derelict? Can she not do the things and still be perceived as like a good mom, even if she's a quote unquote bad mom? And it just got me to thinking about that because, yeah, I mean, I think that just like in so many other spaces in motherhood, Black women sort of have to be perfect. They're striving very much for perfection. And although it's not attainable, it doesn't mean that Black women ain't gonna try. <laughs> and so, yeah, like, I'm not sure. I think my answer is no. Like, even though there are bad Black moms, right? They're like, not everybody's knocking out of the park over here. I definitely think that we don't get afforded that opportunity for sure. Like, if you are a mom, Black mom and you mess up, people going to be on your head about it. And so, yeah, I just think it's something to consider. It's something to think about and, and let me know what you think. Like, can you be a bad Black mom? I'd be interested to know. That wraps up this week's episode of School and Life. Thanks so much for listening. We'll have a couple, a couple other episodes before the end of the year and the start of 2023. So if you aren't already, be sure to subscribe and share the podcast and so get more people in this community. Thanks so much for listening. School's out. Bye. Dismissed.